Well, good morning and welcome to our service on this Easter Sunday. Today we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for centuries, Christians have greeted one another uh, with what's known as the Paschal greeting, where one Christian says, Christ is risen, and the other Christian responds, he is risen indeed. And we'll do this together now as a congregation. So I say to you, I'll say to you, Christ is risen, and then you respond, he is risen indeed. So I say, Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Let's begin uh, our time by singing of this glorious truth. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And he is Lord. Blessed are those who have not seen 
Father, we thank you that at a time where sickness and death are very much on our minds and in the news, we can come aside and remember that Jesus has risen from the dead. He has conquered death and gives eternal life for all those who put their faith in him. We thank you that the resurrection is certain, and so too is the future hope which the resurrection secures for us. We pray that you would help us to understand today and every day the glorious inheritance we have as Christians. That one day we know all suffering will end and we will be with you forever in heaven. Whilst we are absent from each other and look forward to when we can meet again, help us to use those feelings of longing to long all the more to meet you face to face in heaven. We look forward to that day, and we live today in the hope of it. So would you remind your people of this truth today? Many are struggling in mind and body. Many are feeling low and lonely. We pray that the knowledge of you and your blessings to us would give us an inexpressible and glorious joy. And we pray today for those whose faith 
is not in Jesus, that they would see this morning the wonders of the gospel and put their faith in Jesus themselves. We also take time this morning to pray for our world and our nation. We do ask for wisdom for our leaders and leaders in different nations. We pray that the governments in the UK and the governments across the world would know uh, when it is right to lift restrictions, to know when it's, uh, what, what to do in order to save lives. But more than this, on this Easter Sunday, we pray that there would be wisdom, not just to our leaders, but to all people. Wisdom to understand that they are dead in trespasses and sins, and that they would have the wisdom that comes from you to cry out to you for salvation. On Easter Sunday, we pray many people would see and come to know the one who has conquered death. We pray that you would bring this good gift of salvation out of this time of pandemic. We praise you that you are God, are our Lord and Savior. We praise you that Christ indeed is risen from the dead. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to be thankful uh, about the hope that Jesus gives us because he's risen from the dead. We're going to be thinking about that truth. But that theme of what we have in Christ will continue not just today, but also in the weeks to come as we begin uh, to look at the book of Ephesians. In uncertain times, it's wonderful to see in this letter of Ephesians that Paul writes how we are secure in Christ for eternity. We're going to look at the great plan that God has for his church and the wondrous truths of the gospel that we see in this book. So do join us next week on Sunday mornings at 10.45 as we begin to look at the book of Ephesians. But for this morning, uh, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 24? And the, we're going to read one of the gospel accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the gospels are not just fairy stories, they're not myths. These are historical accounts of the life the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And in Luke's gospel, he tells us right at the beginning how he wants to write an orderly account of the things that happened to Jesus. And this uh, uh, section of Luke at the end of his gospel gives the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is no fairy story. This is really what happened. So let's read together Luke 24, and I'll read to you verses 1 to 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. 
Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Well, Peter there is wondering what had happened, and later on we see that he also sees the risen Jesus. This is no nonsense. Christ is risen from the dead. Well, let's continue to think about these things as we sing together, See What a Morning.
Well, if you return in your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter 1, we left Peter at the end of the passage we read in Luke 24, wondering what had happened. Well, Peter met with the risen Jesus, and Peter preached of the risen Jesus, and here we see him writing of the risen Jesus. We see in the passage we're going to look at this morning, he very much understood that Jesus is risen from the dead. Well, Tim and I have the strange experience at the moment of watching ourselves preach on a Sunday morning. Uh, Just to let you into a trade secret, we record these sermons before the Sunday morning service so that we can attend church with our families and join you all. Well, last week, uh, I, with uh, many others, saw a mistake that has been pointed out to me that I want to rectify. Uh, It is the narrow way that leads to life and the broad way that leads to destruction. Thank you for those who pointed out that mistake to me. Uh, I do tell the children uh, when they are uh, transitioning from Sunday school to church that if they see an error or a problem or something they don't understand in a sermon, uh, that Tim and I are more than happy for people to come and ask us about it. Well, people have done that this week. Uh, I don't mind, but I want to rectify uh, that particular error that I made. But the other thing I noticed as I watched uh, the preaching last Sunday was that perhaps there could have been a disclaimer at the beginning of the, ser- of the sermon on the cross. And that disclaimer is that when you preach on the cross, by necessity, the trajectory of the sermon goes down as we think about our sin. And we hit the depths of despair as we realize the awfulness of sin and what we have done uh, in, in order that Christ needed to die for us. And in order for us to be able to understand the glories of the gospel, we have to go down and see that so that we can come back up into the heavenly places and see what the cross has accomplished. Well, this morning, if you imagine that we are flying, we are not going to dip at all, but rather soar with Peter in the most highest of places as we consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no dip here. There is nothing Uh, bad. This is glorious and wondrous truth, glorious gospel news that we are going to see as we consider what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means for those who put their trust in him. And in fact, as we think about the resurrection this morning, there are two uh, responses that you could have. The first response is for the Christian, and it's the only response, really, and that is that we as Christians ought to be praising God as we realize what the resurrection accomplished for us, accomplishes for us now and in the future. Peter, in this passage we are going to read, praises God with one long doxology of praise as he thinks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if you're not a Christian this morning, and you're thinking about this resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, your response should be, why on earth am I missing out on all this wondrous gospel that is being talked about? How can I receive what Peter will go on to describe as joy that is inexpressible and full of glory? And I say to you, the response that you should have is to no longer wonder why you are missing out, but rather to join brothers and sisters who have put their faith in Jesus by doing so yourself. Because this morning, what we are going to consider is something wonderful. It's something that Peter calls a living hope. 
Now, everyone who lives hopes in and for something. And all of those hopes that we have as humanity are are directed towards to, to a better life now and for peace after death. And those hopes can be in all sorts of things. We have hopes in relationships, in career fulfillment, in riches, in peace, in health, and so on. But recently, we have seen so many hopes dashed. Hopes that have been crushed because of this coronavirus pandemic. All of a sudden, businesses that seemed so certain have gone to the wall. Our health is no longer looking a safe bet to put our hope in. Everything is so uncertain. And the truth of the matter is that apart from Jesus Christ, all other hopes fail. And they fail because they end up dying. The reason Jesus is a living hope is because he has conquered death. And I want you to turn with me now to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to read to you verses 3 to 9, where the Apostle Peter speaks of this living hope. He begins in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word. In this passage, the Apostle Peter describes the living hope we have in Jesus. Peter here gives one long praise to God because we have a living hope. Notice that phrase is found there in verse 3. But before delving into Uh, what that means, it's worth understanding what the word hope means. We often think of hope as wanting something to happen that might not happen. So for example, I hope I get that promotion at work. Or in the negative, I hope I don't get COVID-19. These things may or may not happen. They are hope so's, if you like. In the Bible, hope is different to hope so. Biblical hope is looking forward in faith to something that will certainly, definitely happen. The promises of God are not hope so's. 
the things, the glorious things Peter has written up here are not things that a Christian hopes so might happen. Rather, they are something that we look forward to in faith because we know that when God promises something, it will definitely take place. Now, for example, last week, we saw Isaiah writing 700 years before Jesus was born about his death. He was writing about the Messiah and how he will save his people from their sins. And 700 years later, Jesus comes and he dies just as Isaiah said he would. Isaiah was speaking God's word, God's promise, and it comes true as Jesus dies on the cross. And it's that definition of hope that Peter is talking of here. He is writing of a hope in something that will certainly happen, not something that we hope might happen. Now remember, it's not a hope so, but a certainty. And that helps us to take on board and to glory in these truths. And it is certain a hope that is a living hope that is absolutely certain because we know that in history, Jesus rose from the dead. So with that thought of hope in mind, notice what Peter writes about this hope. First of all, in verse 3, he says it is in God's mercy, in his great mercy. Mercy is his compassion on sinners, helping us in our great need of salvation. We, we see this mercy displayed on the cross that we saw last week, where Jesus pays the price for sin so that we can be forgiven. His salvation plan, his coming to save us, is great mercy. And his mercy, Peter says, has given us new birth. When we have our sins forgiven and are given the righteousness of Jesus, like we saw last week, which is what the cross accomplishes, the Bible says that we are born again. We have a new heart that is Godward in its direction. We have a new father in God and a new family in the church. And all this ends with a new destiny, which is heaven. And so Peter says we are born into a living hope. And we receive this through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin. The result of sin is death. But if sin has been paid for and made an end of in our lives, the result is life. And so if Jesus pays for sin, that means the resurrection His life shows that God has accepted the sacrifice for sin that was made. We can be forgiven and have eternal life because Jesus is risen from the dead. That's why Peter says here that uh, we've been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If he remains dead, there's no hope because sin hasn't been paid for. But our living hope is living because it's in a Savior who is living and has conquered death. If we have faith in Jesus and what he has done, we have peace and joy now and eternal life in heaven. That is a living hope. 
Now, Peter goes on now to praise God for this living hope, and he tells us some truths about it. And the first thing he praises God for is that we have a living hope that's secure. Notice in verse 4 that Peter speaks of an inheritance. In the Old Testament, the people of God inherited a land, the land of Canaan. And they received this after they had been freed from Egypt, where they were slaves, and they conquered this land of Canaan. And each tribe in Israel was given an inheritance in the land, a piece of it that there was, was their own. And this same thought is transferred to us by Peter here in the New Testament. In uh, the, the first verse, we see that Peter is writing to God's elect, which is another way of saying Christians. And Christians have an inheritance. Now, it's not a specific portion of this earth like Israel had, but rather the Christian inheritance is heaven. And that isn't only a place, but it is also perfect bodies to live in a perfect place. It is a physical new creation where we will live in physical bodies that will be with Jesus forever. And in this inheritance, the bodies that we have and the world we are in will no longer have sickness or suffering of any kind. And so there will be no death at all. Now, isn't that a wonderful hope in the days we live in, where death is very much at the forefront of our minds at the moment as we are looking at a virus that is killing people? There'll be nothing like this in heaven. Isn't that wonderful to think of, think of? Think about that for a moment. No sickness, no death, no suffering of any kind. Now that's a wonderful inheritance. And it's a living hope because it's a certain inheritance. But Israel in the Old Testament, due to their rebellion against God, saw their inheritance destroyed by invading armies. We saw this a couple of weeks ago as we came to the end of the book of Jeremiah. It ends with invading armies coming in and taking Israel out of their inheritance and destroying it. Now our inheritance is like Israel's in the sense that it's a physical place. But it is unlike Israel's in the sense that it will never be taken away. It's an inheritance. It's a living hope that is secure. Notice how Peter says this in verse 4. It's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Those three words describe all earthly hopes. To perish means to decay. To spoil means to be impure, and to fade means that it gets worn or old or tired. All of those words are words of death, aren't they? You name any, anything on earth, anything at all, and it will perish, spoil, or fade eventually. Our health, our possessions, our finances, our careers, our intellect, our family, our friends, all of them over time suffer from perishing, spoiling, and or fading. All of these things ultimately end with death, but our inheritance from God is a living hope that is none of those things. It will go on forever, 
and it will always be just as perfect as it was when we first receive it. One writer sums it up nicely. Many of the things which fill our lives and which are often thought to be valuable don't fit that criteria at all. They are corruptible, defiled, and they do fade. And if we set our heart on such things, we will end up disappointed and disillusioned. But none of this applies to God's salvation. We need to set our sights higher than the things on earth that perish, spoil, and fade. Our living hope is so much greater, and it's secure. So it's secure from the ravages of age and time, but it's also secure from the threat of invasion. The land of Canaan was invaded, and we saw in Jeremiah how everything was taken away. But notice at the end of verse 4 where this inheritance is kept. It says here, it is kept in heaven for you. Now up until quite recently, life has seemed pretty secure. But we all of a sudden live in very insecure times. Our lives just don't seem so safe. Now for many in the world, that has been quite normal. But for us in the West... Everything was a little bit more secure, at least in our minds, up until recently. The way that we can think about what Peter is saying here is to think of uh, putting money in a safe or in a bank account. Even now, in our days of insecurity, we still think that our money in our banks are pretty secure. And that's the kind of thinking behind our inheritance being kept for us. It is under lock and key. But a bank can collapse or it can be robbed but heaven cannot be breached no one can get up there and take away anything from heaven it is the most secure place in the whole universe because it is kept by God himself now if we inherit something from a family member we could lose that inheritance it could be taken from us either by a change of the will Or if they have lots of debts when they die, our inheritance could be used to pay for their debts or even for our own debts. But it could also be taken from us by our own death. But not only is our heavenly inheritance kept for us, we are kept for our inheritance. Notice this in verse 5. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Our inheritance is kept for us secure in heaven, but we also are kept secure for our inheritance until we receive it. And we are kept by being shielded by God's power, which we have faith in. Now, we see all kinds of shielding going on at the moment to keep us from catching coronavirus. There are face masks that people shield themselves with. There are hazmat suits. And there is social distancing. Perhaps the funniest I have seen is a person going around a supermarket in a Zorb ball in order to stop them getting the virus. I don't know how they managed to get the shopping into the Zorb ball, but there it is. Now, all of these things may 
be helpful, but there are no guarantees. We cannot shield ourselves from all of the problems of life. But we are shielded from all threats that would keep us from our inheritance. Because we are shielded by God's power. And we'll be shielded until Jesus returns. That is the meaning behind the end of verse 5. The salvation that is ready to be revealed is the, the bit that we haven't seen yet. The return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of his people into the new bodies that are fit for the new creation. We wait for that day. When Peter writes here, through faith in God's power, he is talking about what we have faith in, not how much faith we have. Faith is to trust in something. And we have faith in God's power because it's a power that we have seen at work as he raises Jesus from the dead. Now, death is a powerful enemy, but God is more powerful. He is the most powerful. He raises even the dead, and he will raise us too to new bodies by his power. Our faith is grounded in reality. So because we know of God's power, we know that until we reach heaven, almighty God is protecting you from all that would take you away from the inheritance he has for us. A nice way of summing this up is in the words of the hymn, In Christ Alone. We sing in that hymn, No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Now, we can feel insecure. We can get things wrong. Circumstances can make us doubt. But you can't mess this up. And no one can take it away. Our inheritance is kept for us. And we are kept for our inheritance. It is completely secure. So we have a living hope that is secure. But another wonderful truth that Peter goes on to praise God for is that we also have a living hope that sustains. Peter says in verse 6, in all this, that is in all that we have heard so far of our great salvation, our great inheritance, all of the benefits, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Our living hope sustains us through trials. Peter goes as far as saying that even in and during trials, we can continue to rejoice in the living hope we have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, when Peter talks of trials here, his original readers would have understood persecution. They were undergoing tremendous persecution under the Roman Empire of the time. But Peter uses this phrase, all kinds of trials. All kinds literally is translated 
many colors. And we do suffer trials of many colors. We suffer family grief and loss, money problems, mental health issues, and at the moment, isolation and loneliness. And they cause us to suffer grief. But whilst not minimizing the grief, because it is real, Peter says we can still rejoice. Now, this is not a fake happiness or mind over matter or something like that, but rather it's the ability to remember the truth of the gospel which remains secure and certain and to remember that and to thank God and praise him for it. We rejoice in the truth of our inheritance that we know is true because he is risen from the dead. But we rejoice in the truth of our inheritance, but also we rejoice when we compare that inheritance with the trial that we are going through. Notice how Peter says that we suffer now a little while. Now I know for some of you, you have been suffering for what feels like, and in what in an earthly context really is, a long time. And in the context of our earthly life, that is true. But our inheritance is eternal. And in comparison to eternity, our suffering is a short while. Paul the Apostle says something similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now Paul and Peter are not saying that our troubles are light and momentary in and of themselves. They know, we know, that it is hard. But when compared to eternity, they are and will be seen as light and momentary. This does not make light of our troubles, but rather it makes much of our inheritance. We are sustained by the knowledge that our salvation is wonderful, it is secure, it is eternal. But there is more that Peter has to praise God for in regards to this point. Look at verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The trials we are going through are proving the genuineness of our faith. Peter uses here the illustration of gold. Gold was a valuable, and it is a valuable metal. And in his day, to test the value of the metal, it was put through fire. It would test the genuineness of it. So when the gold goes in the fire, the rubbish is burnt away, and all that is left is the pure gold. And if there was no gold, it was counterfeit, it would all burn away. Peter says here that like that, our trials are a fire that refine us, get rid of the rubbish, 
and they prove that we are genuinely his children. Perhaps even at the moment, the fact that so much of what we have taken for granted has been stripped away from us, we will begin to see who the genuine believers in Jesus are. Now, this refining fire of our trials will not destroy us. Remember, we are shielded by God's power. But the fire, while not destroying us, will refine us. And that refining of us is making us more like Jesus. And this is a good thing. Why? Because the result of this, Peter says, will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed or when he returns. Now, it's interesting to consider who here is being given praise, glory, and honor. Now, ultimately, this is Jesus. He will receive all praise, glory, and honor. But there is a sense, I think, that this is also true of us. In that, when we go through the trials in this life, and we come through the other side, and we come face to face with God, we are not praised like Jesus is praised, but we do receive commendation from God. Well done, good and faithful servant, for example. We're not going to be gloried like Jesus is, but there is a sense that we, are, we, 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 we will be like Jesus in his glory. We're not going to be honored like Jesus is honored, but there is a distinction for us for serving God and persevering through the trials. Any praise and glory and honor that we might receive, as small as it may be, will all be turned back to praise, honor, and glory of Jesus because he alone is really worthy of it. We will give praise and honor and glory to Jesus because he has sustained us by his power through our trials. But what Peter is teaching here is that we will one day, even though we may not see it now, look back at our lives and praise God for our trials. We can often see our inheritance more clearly when we are suffering most deeply. Suffering can bring that glorious inheritance more sharply into focus. And it's in these times as we focus on our inheritance and on the glory of what we have in Christ that we have a living hope that sustains. I know many of you listening today are suffering deeply. It is not easy, and Peter doesn't pretend it is. But on Easter Sunday, consider the living hope that is found in Jesus. And may the fact that you are suffering bring that glorious inheritance even more sharply into focus as you think of a time where there is no more suffering ever again. And as we do that, we can find that even in the present day, we not only have a living hope that sustains, we also have a living hope that satisfies. In the here and now, before we fully realize our inheritance, 
We love and believe in Jesus. That's what Peter's saying here in verses uh, 8 and 9. It satisfies us not just in the future, but every day. Now in verse 8, Peter uh, says that though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him, you believe in him. Now here, as, a, as an illustration of what he's saying there, I think we can uh, empathize with our current situation. For those of us who are locked in our homes and are healthy, the, the virus is invisible for us. A virus is something that you can't see with the naked eye. And it just, for, perhaps for some of us, just doesn't seem real when we are so healthy. We're in our homes, we're locked down, and we're wondering, well, why am I locked in? I'm perfectly well. But our feeling healthy and our feeling that this virus isn't really here doesn't really make it any less real. It is real even when we can't see it. And if you phone up someone that works in the NHS or you turn on the news, you all of a sudden see the reality of it and you say, oh yeah, of course, I should stay at home. Now, the virus is a bad thing, but Peter uses that same principle of something we can't see being very real for something which is a good thing. In fact, the greatest of things. We cannot see Jesus physically, but not seeing him doesn't make him any less real. We might not feel his presence, and we may at times wonder whether following him is worth it. But as we look again at the Gospels and we see Jesus is risen from the dead, it's like phoning up Peter like you would an NHS worker with the virus and saying, Peter, is it real? And Peter will say, yes, I have seen the risen Jesus. I've seen him come back to life. I've walked with him. I've eaten with him. I have experienced this inheritance that is for you. And we say, oh, of course it's real. And so we believe in him and we love him even though we can't see him because we know that he is risen from the dead and this is real. And when we love him and we believe in him even though we cannot see him, we are filled, Peter says, with an inexpressible and glorious joy. This inexpressible and glorious joy can only be had as we look upon the risen Savior, Jesus, and the inheritance he has for us. This kind of joy is so glorious, it cannot be expressed by words. It's a joy like no other. How can we have this kind of joy, even when we are suffering and when we can't see the one who gives it? We can have it because our living hope is not only in the future, it is being realized in part even now. That's the point of verse 9. Our inheritance is not just something we're holding tight for so that we can receive it later and then we'll be happy. This is something we can joy in right now. Because in verse 9, Peter says, for, so you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for or because you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the word there, receiving, means that it's something that is ongoing. 
So we're, we're, we're not just going to receive it, although that is true, we are currently receiving it. Now when we think of salvation, we often think of it as something that has happened in the past, an event. But that's only partly true, because salvation in the Bible really is in three parts. And in all of these parts, we are saved from some aspect of sin. So the first part of salvation, the bit that we've received, is that we are saved from the penalty of sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for sin. As we looked at last week, we are justified. We are declared legally righteous before a holy God. That is always true. It is something that has happened to us. But salvation doesn't stop there. Not only are we saved from the penalty of sin, we are also being saved from the power of sin over our lives. So the Christian is someone that has the Holy Spirit of God living in them, and over time, God is working in us to make us more like Jesus, and as that work goes on, we are being freed more and more from the power of sin as we become more like Jesus. That's the refining that is being talked about here by Peter. We are being refined to be more like Jesus. That's ongoing until we get to heaven where we will be freed from the very presence of sin. Where sin will not only no longer be part of our lives, it will no longer be part of our world that we will be living in because we will be in this perfect world where nothing will perish, spoil or fade. So we're freed from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. And it's an ongoing work so that we can have right now a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Because our salvation will become and can become more and more real to us as we get closer to receiving the inheritance that is ours. Literally, it is a hope that is alive, not static, always working in us, a living hope. But we've got to focus our eyes on it. We can't have this joy when our eyes are just focused on the earthly things. We cannot have this joy when our eyes are only focused on the fire of the trial. Or we cannot have this joy when our eyes are focused on things that we think will make us happy and give us hope, but never can because they perish, spoil, or fade. We will have this inexpressible and glorious joy only when we look to Jesus. We look at the empty tomb. We remember he's risen from the dead. And we look forward to what God has in store for us. We can be far too easily pleased with rubbish that doesn't last when God has in store for us things that never perish, spoil, or fade. Brother or sister, on this Easter Sunday, let us soar in the heavenly places as we gaze upon Jesus and the glorious inheritance he has for us. Hope in anything other than Jesus will die, but faith in Jesus gives us a living hope because it's in a living Savior who is risen from the dead. If you are hoping in something other than Jesus for joy in this life or life after death, why are you putting your faith in something else? 
Whatever you put your faith in that's not Jesus will perish and spoil and fade. You can even enjoy it perhaps for the whole of this life, but when you die, that is it. It is a dead hope. Nothing compares to Jesus because Jesus has conquered death. Let us put our faith today, of all days, Easter Sunday, in Jesus. And let us today experience some of that inexpressible and glorious joy, whatever our circumstances may be, because Christ is risen indeed. Now our final song that we're going to sing together fits perfectly with what uh, 1 Peter has been saying to us. So let's close our time by singing together in Christ alone, my hope is found.
thought we'd close just to say that if any of you have questions about Christianity uh, that you've had uh, in your minds from the last couple of weeks, if you go on our church website, there is a link uh, called What is Christianity that you can click on that will give you more information. Uh, there's also on the website our contact details, and we'd love for you to get in touch with us and ask us questions about Jesus and what he has done and what it means to follow him. Uh, we'd love to share more with you about this wonderful living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So do not hesitate at all uh, to get into contact with us so we can share more with you. But as we close, let me repeat some of the words we have heard this morning that Peter has written to us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah and amen.